0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Today, we are going Hollywood. Later in the hour, I'll talk with Mark Rizzo, the screenwriter behind the new feel-good comedy Champions. The film stars Woody Harrelson and Caitlin Olson and tells the story of a Special Olympics basketball team based in Des Moines, Iowa. But first, Scott Beck and Brian Woods have been making movies together ever since the sixth grade when they were growing up In Bettendorf, they are both graduates of the University of Iowa, and they hit the big time in 2018 with their horror movie The Quiet Place, starring John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Now they have written and directed a big-budget film starring Adam Driver and a bunch of dinosaurs. It is called 65. Driver plays a pilot named Mills. His spacecraft crashes on an unknown planet that he discovers is actually Earth. 65 million years ago. Here's a moment from the film's trailer. Location unknown.
2: Charter 373. This is Commander Mills.
3: My ship was hit by an undocumented asteroid. Anyway. Location unknown. Transporting 35
2: passengers. Anyway. Location unknown. On a long-range
3: exploratory mission.
1: 65. Oh, sorry, <laughs> you should have waited for Adam Driver to ask for help. 65 opens in theaters later this week. And on Friday, Brian Woods and Scott Beck will be in Iowa City at Film Scene. If you buy tickets for the 7 p.m. show, you can come at 630 for a pre-show reception and the film will be followed by a Q&A with the filmmakers who are here with me now. Brian Woods, welcome.
3: Thank you for having us.
1: And Scott Beck, welcome.
3: Yeah, wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for having us on today.
1: Thank you so much for being here. And I watched the trailer for this film. I have not yet seen it, but I watched the trailer and immediately I thought, this is like Alien crossed with Jurassic Park. Brian, (laughs) does that sound right?
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, that's right. I mean, Scott and I grew up Making movies together when we were 11 years old, and Jurassic Park and Star Wars, and all of these films, we would make movies with our action figures. And so for 65, There's a part of us that feels like we're just combining all of our different action figure toy sets into one movie. (laughs)
1: That makes perfect sense. And I thinking about Jurassic Park when it first came out in what, 1993 or something like that. um, That was one of my pinnacle movie theater experiences because the film was so big. And I went on opening night and people literally screamed in the audience. It was like being on a roller coaster ride. Scott, is that what you're hoping to to make people feel like with this? well
3: absolutely and and it's funny you bring up jurassic park because i i was there too june 11th like that date is burned into my head i even i even dressed up as a uh jurassic park vhs box for halloween of of 1994 i was so obsessed and we're just huge fans of uh seeing movies in theaters with communities and this this film 65 was built for the big screen in terms of being terrifying, being something that is very emotional, very relatable. And that's always kind of the benchmark that we're trying to design in, in all of our films.
1: Speaking of seeing a film on the big screen, a lot of people haven't really moved back to seeing movies like that yet after you know a couple of years of watching movies at home. Uh, Scott, does it feel important to you that, that people have that big screen experience?
3: we do it, it obviously it has been a really difficult last few years um but we're, we're starting to see the the resurgence safely of, of people coming back into the theaters you know one thing that brian and i are doing actually in our hometown of davenport iowa is um is building a two-screen movie theater called the last picture house and it's something where we're going to be screening things on 35 we're going to be screening first-run movies called classics but We really want to foster that community. And we think Iowa has such a fascinating cinematic history and such a groundswell of support for um, just cinema culture. And so that's something that's incredibly important, not just in the movies that we make, but I think in in everything that we kind of do as as Iowans and and cinephiles.
1: Well, tell me more about The Last Picture House, Scott.
3: So The Last Picture House, it's, um, it's, it, it was born of our love of going to see movies on the big screen, but tapping into something like what Quentin Tarantino's done in Los Angeles with his new Beverly Cinema, where he goes back to old film prints and he's screening unseen movies that aren't really embraced by a big community, but might have some sort of historical presence, some sort of cultural significance. And so we've, we're taking this old building that was built in like 1895 in downtown Davenport in the Motor Row Historic District, and we're retrofitting it to have state-of-the-art screenings. We're going to have a rooftop area for um, the months. In the summer where you can come outside, you can have a drink and you can celebrate um, the idea of cinema and the culture and community that cinema really fosters.
1: And this actually sounds a lot like film scene in Iowa City. You guys have have visited film scene a number of times over the years to have chats with the audiences. Brian, is that part of your inspiration in addition to Quentin Tarantino?
4: We love everything that the film scene has done. It's such a gorgeous, um, you know, building and, and theatrical experience. Every time we find ourselves back, back home in Iowa, we're always, uh, you know, driving up to, to film scene to catch a movie there. It's just such a they've done such a great job with that theater.
1: So I want to talk a little bit more about this film because it's such a huge movie. And thinking about the other films that you've done over the years, you you obviously have a penchant for horror and, you know, for films that keep you on the edge of your seat. But Dinosaurs and Spaceships kind of takes you into new territory, Brian.
4: It was such a wild experience getting to uh, paint on such a large canvas of 65. Um, being able to do a big budget studio movie has is, is been a dream of ours for a while, and um, and and we never thought that anyone would ever let us make a dinosaur movie. Our our whole pitch to the studios when we finished writing 65 was we kind of went around town to each of the different studios and we were like, why does Steven Spielberg get to be the only one who has fun? You know, why like you guys are letting universal have a monopoly on dinosaurs, but there could be as many dinosaur movies every year as there are comic book movies. And, and um, it's just such a, it's, it's even, even now it's surreal to think that uh, we were lucky enough to, to do a big canvas movie like 65 and, and we just really hope that um, families come out for the movie. It's kind of a family movie. Um, obviously, kids love dinosaurs. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of a magical, a magical thing when you're young. But it's it's also this nuanced character drama, um, and we really feel like there's a little bit of something for everybody.
1: Oh, okay, a family movie! It looks completely terrifying, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: you know, it's. Uh, Listen, you know, Scott and I love getting scared when we were kids, there's no question. Uh we were we, we saw Ridley Scott's Alien at a very young age and and we're hoping that this is uh you know, there there are some there are some scary moments in 65, but um but uh it doesn't get too intense and and uh and I don't know. I we we think it's uh it's 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 a, it's a it's a movie for all ages, believe it or not. <laughs> all
1: right. Well, and you guys uh love to put kids in danger in your films. Uh, Adam Driver is not the only character. His Mills is not the only survivor of this crash. There's also a young woman named Koa who is played by Ariana Greenblatt. Scott, uh, why do you like to put children in danger so much?
3: <laughs> it's it's I, I, I all of a sudden realize that's becoming a staple of, of our work. I think it probably stems from um, wanting to make movies that encapsulate many different perspectives and many different points of view. And, and I think at heart, Brian and I still feel like, you know, we're those 11 year olds that just met making movies and we love putting ourselves in danger in safe spaces. And that's one thing that that, that movies do so wonderfully. Um, this tale really is about survival. And not only is it about how does somebody who's, you know, Adam driver's age survive amidst 65 million years ago, but it's also through the perspective of a child and for us it just makes the movie more of a family experience when you're able to invite those different perspectives into the into the film.
1: This film is produced by Sam Raimi and up until I heard about you guys, Sam Raimi was one of the people in my favorite young people making films together origin stories. I loved hearing stories about him and Bruce Campbell and their little gang of friends in Royal Oak, Michigan, who grew up making films together. And then they made The Evil Dead when they were in college. Uh, Brian, did you bond with Sam Raimi over having kind of a similar origin story?
4: Absolutely. I mean Sam Sam's really done it all. He's he's made some of the best independent movies in the history of cinema. and He's made with the Evil Dead franchise and he's made some of the best uh, big budget blockbuster movies in cinema history like the Spider-Man films and and Sam really has not changed over the years. He's still he still to us feels like that that young uh you know 18 year old that's uh, lucky enough to be making movies still. And and so he was such a great mentor during this period and really helping us kind of make that leap from indie filmmaking to big budget filmmaking and and just uh, such a a great person and a really warm presence uh, throughout the making of this film and really couldn't have asked for a better partner.
1: Well, and speaking of your origin story, let's go back in time. Since you're fans of time travel, uh, Scott, why don't why don't you take us back to grade school? When did you guys first connect about making uh, films?
3: Well, it's it's been um, uh, origin in the making uh, for about like thirty years now. Um, both Brian and I independently started making movies. I mean, I, I I remember my first blush with making movies was grabbing my parents' camcorder. And my sister and I would act in it. We had this, this film that had a terrible title called, called Turquoise Sunset, which was like the very first film that we ever did. And those movies I was making up until about like sixth grade. And Brian was sitting at the same lunch table and discovered, oh, he's made like Jurassic Park movies. He's made like Resident Evil movies with his with his action figures. And we suddenly were the only two kids at Benton North Middle School that realized we like making movies. We started um, auditioning like locally in the Quad Cities and we're, you know, imagine two 15 year olds like sitting behind a desk and we're auditioning, you know, professional actors in the Quad City area that could be three, four times older <laughs> than us. And we just kept doing that. Like our film school really was living in the Quad Cities with an incredible, com- c- incredible community that kept fostering like talent and making feature films for literally no money whatsoever. But it was really an educational experience that we we love to this day.
1: Well, we will talk more about that in just a moment. With me this hour, Scott Beck and Brian Woods. They are the screenwriters and directors of the new movie 65 which stars adam driver a pilot who crashes on an unknown planet that he discovers is actually earth 65 million years ago so there's spacecraft and dinosaurs in this film and it opens this week it will be showing at film scene in iowa city and brian woods and scott beck will be there on friday night i do also want to mention that film scene is an underwriter of iowa public radio this is ipr
0: Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at CorridorVein and CorridorAesthetics.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion including above and beyond cancer.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Coming up in just about 15 minutes, we will talk about the new movie Champions, which opens this week. It's a feel-good comedy that stars Woody Harrelson and takes place, ostensibly, in Des Moines, Iowa. Right now we're talking about another film that opens this week. It's called 65, and it stars Adam Driver as a pilot named Mills. His spacecraft crashes into an unknown planet. He discovers that it's actually Earth, 65 million years Years ago, And there are a lot of dinosaurs on that planet. So <laughs> The film is written and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who grew up in Bettendorf, Iowa. They are both graduates of the University of Iowa and really hit the big time in 2018 with their horror movie, The Quiet Place. And before the break, we were talking about those years uh, making films together in Bettendorf. And Brian, what do you want to add to making that connection? When the two of you started... Combining forces and making films together.
4: It was so nice to find somebody else who loved movie making as, as much as I did. Movie making can be um, an incredibly fun experience, but it's also very. Um, it can also be very lonely. <laughs> so we, Scott and I always joke that, um, especially as uh, as professionals, it's it's there's a lot of rejection um, and a lot of hardship along the. Route of of transitioning from an amateur filmmaker into a professional, and so it's nice that there's another uh, shoulder to cry on uh, when things aren't going as well, and you're hitting your head against the wall either creatively or also just from a from a business standpoint. Um, you know, being two kids from Iowa, we had no idea how to how to make it in the business and, and forge a, a path in Hollywood. It felt like um, it felt like an impossible journey, and so. You know it, doing it with a with your best friend and 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 trying to build relationships and and build a body of work and and build the trust of studios uh, is is a is a is a long road and and it's been uh, so much fun doing it with
1: Scott. Now the two of you went to the University of Iowa together you were both communications majors. Was this the plan that you would go to the University of Iowa? you would study filmmaking together and then go to Hollywood, Brian?
3: Yeah, I think we we
4: always just kept following our hearts and our passion and and that just kept being filmmaking. And going to the University of Iowa, we definitely took some wonderful film classes, but we were also challenging ourselves to uh, make movies outside of class and, and study things that weren't necessarily film related to kind of broaden our exposure to um, uh, other interests. One, one of the things at the University of Iowa that was really uh, formative our work down the road was was studying communication and, and in particular, nonverbal communication and learning about how much people say without ever actually saying anything with words. And that became the foundation of a movie and a script like A Quiet Place, which is all about a family that that can't make a sound. And and then it also led to our work in 65, uh, where we have two characters who actually don't speak the same language. And so dialogue is very minimal. We're always trying to get to this place of uh, silent filmmaking almost, where dialogue and exposition kind of take a back seat to the visceral cinematic experience that movies uniquely provide.
1: Making it in the film business is so difficult and so many people try and try and try and and never succeed. And you guys have, have just done amazing things. Scott, was there always this commitment that you would do it together?
3: I think there was. The um the filmmaking industry in particular is is built on collaboration in that, you know, whether you're a writer, a director, or production designer, you're always communicating with many different voices in order to get across the artistry or, or whatever the logistical issue might be on a, on a given day. And with Brian and I, I think we learned really early on when we were making movies back in Iowa about how important that collab- collaboration was. And in writing and directing originally our own works, I felt that when we finally merged forces in our teenage years, there was a strength with our combined voices that otherwise was not there. And so that path started forging itself really early back in Bentendorf and just it's always continued And, and frankly at this point in our lives we we never really see it ceasing.
1: Well, looking over your filmography, you, you know, started making small films and and worked your way up and and obviously you were trying really hard to get noticed and get attention and make the best work that you could possibly make along the way. Making films is incredibly expensive and it's not necessarily something that people are going to pay you for when you get started. <laughs> I mean, Brian, how did you guys keep heart and soul together during that time while you were raising money and investing probably your own money in making these films? I
4: think any time that you really love something, um, there's just the reality is there's nothing else you would rather be doing. When Scott and I first moved out to Hollywood, it, it took so long to really get our foot in the door. We would have years where we would write um, screenplays that we were really proud of. and And we were even uh, further along in our career where we'd have representation by managers and agents and they would be attempting to sell our work and and we didn't, um, and we just weren't able to, to get anything off the ground and we weren't able to convince people, uh, studios or financiers to give us money. And so we, we had day jobs and and oddly enough, Scott and I's day job many, many of the years when we were in LA was working at movie theaters. <laughs> just like movies so much. So we just kind of, um, you know, it, it, yeah, it's it, it, it's um, it can be a, a, a tricky, uh, tough business. But um, when you when you love it so much and, um, and and there's nothing else you'd rather be doing, it's, it's kind of OK. You
1: know, I, I think that people looking from the outside see that you have become very successful at a relatively early age. But still, that's a lot of years of, of really, really working hard with not a lot of payoffs. Scott, were there any points where you guys thought about giving up?
3: Uh, you know, it's funny, I can think of like dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of nights lying in bed, wondering, like, will this big break ever come? And yet, uh, I don't think Brian and I ever had a fallback plan. I think no matter what, we knew we would be making movies for the rest of our lives, even if that meant, you know, we were still working at, you know, the AMC movie theater during the day, but finding a way to, to write scripts or, or direct short films on the weekends. It just really runs through our blood.
1: The barrier to entry in this industry is just so incredibly high. Scott, when you think about young filmmakers who don't necessarily have the the privileges that the two of you had, what do you think about trying to make this a more equitable world where more people, more diverse voices can get engaged?
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's something that we've definitely thought about a lot. I mean, even in the Quad Cities, there's this great film program called Urban Exposures, which is exposing the art of filmmaking and and what that means to different types of, of groups in the Quad Cities. And so I think from, you know, different types of society, like we're looking at seeing other voices populate cinemas as much as possible. It's um, again, just speaking from a personal standpoint, one of the things at the last picture house that we're trying to do is make sure that we're not just showing, you know, first run movies, but we're showing films from other countries from different economic statuses and, and that we're really showing that filmmaking is one of the best ways to communicate your own perspective. Um, it's one thing that, you know, Brian and I early on, we were thinking like, oh, there's, there's no other films being made from somebody in Iowa. And that was a very limited view in retrospect, because all of a sudden, like when we started going to the university of Iowa, we suddenly were like, oh, there's all these other voices from different countries that otherwise you don't really know much about that. All of a sudden you're being exposed to their way of life, their culture, and it's, it's certainly a way to be able to communicate many different things that can feel universal but are through such a specific lens.
1: Brian, is there anything you want to add to that?
3: No, other
4: than just it's, film is such a powerful tool of communication. And I think Scott's right that it's such a lovely opportunity to illuminate different um, cultures or point of views that we don't always get access to. And I'm proud to be in an industry that values that and and maybe hasn't valued that in the past but 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 um is is in a place of recognizing how important it is to elevate different voices and and diverse voices and and um and it's 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 just so important and it's so lovely about the medium it's one of the things that um that that we've really fallen in love with over the years um when we watch world cinema and and even when we make movies would make writing 65 it was really important to us that um there wasn't a strong language barrier in the movie uh for this particular film to travel around the world that that we We're hoping to to attempt something that was, um, where the the language of cinema is is kind of universal and it it travels different cultures. And and, and that's simply just a reflection of of how we feel about movies, the way that they can reach people and and touch people. And um, and yeah, it's it's something uh, that we're trying to be mindful of, um, elevating uh, underrepresented communities and cultures. Uh, It's just, It's something that cinema is uniquely suited to doing and, and should
3: do more often.
1: I'm talking with Brian Woods and Scott Beck. They are the writers and directors of the new film 65. And your follow-up to A Quiet Place was a film called Haunt that you guys wrote and directed together. And in addition to um, making this incredibly terrifying movie, you also published a book that included the the screenplay for the movie and your diaries that you kept while you were making the film – Scott, what made you want to share that?
3: <laughs> we love being as personal and open as possible and showing that um, the road to perceived success is littered with failure. And that's a great thing. Um, when we were growing up back in Iowa, it was, it was our exposure to the film industry it was usually through DVD special features and also screenplays and books that we could read by filmmakers that were charting their own journeys. Um, I, I always have this fear that people look at some sort of success story and it actually feels alienating because nobody knows how to get there. And so with, with this, um, this book, The Haunt Screenplay and Filmmaker's Diary, our goal was to be as open and honest as possible about all the things that go wrong, all the hurdles that you have to face, all the rejection that you encounter... So that hopefully if, you know, somebody in Iowa or Idaho or anywhere around the world picks up this book and doesn't know what it's like to actually be a working filmmaker, they'll see all the bloody scars, so to speak, that kind of (laughs) create somebody that is trying to to do something with their art.
1: Brian, what kind of response have you gotten from aspiring filmmakers to to that book? Because I can imagine that that felt like an incredible resource to a lot of people.
4: Filmmakers really relate to the the book because in the film business, there's so much posturing. Uh, It's almost like uh, everyone feels it's their job to pretend, kind of like fake it till you make it. Like everything's going great and we're so successful. And I loved working with so-and-so and and, this project was a dream come true. (laughs) And that's, you know, the, the talking points of promoting a movie are often very flowery and focus on all the great things that happen, and what our diaries <laughs> reveal is that there's a lot of heartbreak, there's a lot of um, pain, and blood, sweat, and tears that go into filmmaking. And and for Scott and I, we're two very um, anxiety-ridden um, people, <laughs> so so a lot of uh, a lot of um, stomach aches and nervousness are, are articulated in this book. And I think uh, filmmakers that we've talked to who have uh, picked up the book have have, have really um, <laughs> really related to the 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 pain of the birthing process of, of some of these films.
1: Well, and you guys worked for so hard for so many years. And then when you break through, suddenly you're so incredibly in demand. I mean, I, I'm looking at... All of the things that, that you are working on right now. You've got The the Boogeyman coming out in June of 2023. This is a film based on the Stephen King move, short story of the same name. Um, you're opening your theater. You've got your Beck and Woods production company. Uh, Brian, how has life changed for you guys now?
4: Life feels the same this is going to be such a weird thing to say but it feels like we're 10 years old again still making movies uh it really doesn't feel that different it, even until you um uh cite all the things that we're doing uh back to us live here on the air it's uh it doesn't really uh it's hard to almost comprehend that we are that busy it seems like I wish we were doing wish we were doing more stuff we have other um <laughs> dreams of, of in, in, in and and films and and pieces of cinema that we'd like to support and, and continue making um, but um, but it's really fun and and, and it's such a a privilege, and and we know what it what an honor it is to to be able to do this for a living. And it's not something that we we take lightly. It's something that um um you know we, we, we think about and 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 work on every single day of our lives uh, because we we do, we take it very seriously. And, and it's and it is such an honor to be able to do this for a living.
1: So tell me a little bit about your vision for the future. Um, and Brian, I'll let you go first. What are what are some of those dreams that have yet to be realized?
4: Well, you know, we just opened up our our production company, and for us, it's a it's an opportunity, kind of like we were speaking on earlier, to find some under, underrepresented voices and empower them and. And um, to tell their stories and and hopefully mentor filmmakers and uh, up and coming filmmakers and established filmmakers that we really admire and, and hope to work with and 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 producing capacity. That's basically, uh, you know, we have our head of development, Julia Gloucy, who is constantly reading scripts and taking meetings and 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 thinking about the types of uh, movies that we would love to be in theaters and also the type of uh, television shows uh, that that we want to see on the air. And so. That's that's one thing um, that's been a, a really big focus uh, over the, the past several months, and, and and looking ahead to the future, our hope is to kind of grow this company, and and maybe that even means you know finding uh, voices in Iowa, and, and and we know there's so much talent out there. We we try to be a part of the various uh, film festivals. You know Cedar Rapids Film Festival was a was a was a big one for us as kids. They really helped uh, foster our, our voice and, and really encouraged us at, at an early age. And, and so we love stopping by local film festivals and, and seeing who the, who the next class of filmmakers are that's, that's coming up. And,
3: and we hope that we can be a, a home for, for Iowa talent as well.
1: And with only about a minute left, Scott, what do you want to add to that?
3: I think just, you know, maintaining our roots back in Iowa as much as possible, to be honest. I mean, I, I live there um, most of the year when I'm, when I'm not traveling and I'm, I'm not on set. And so I think making sure that there feels like a direct path line from Iowa to making movies, wherever that is, Los Angeles or New York, um, is a very clear path. It's never an easy path, but one that at least has a few benchmarks along the way that filmmakers back in our home state can find a way, you know, to to make their dreams a reality.
1: Scott Beck, thank you so much for talking with me.
3: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: And Brian Woods, thank you.
3: Our pleasure.
4: Thank you for having us.
1: I've been talking to Scott Beck and Brian Woods. They are the writers and directors of the new film 65 that opens this week. They'll be at Film Scene in Iowa City on Friday night celebrating the film's release. Film Scene is an underwriter of IPR. They also have other big plans in the works. They're opening a theater in Davenport called The Last Picture House, opening in May of 2023. And they wrote the screenplay for the movie The Boogeyman, which comes out June of 2023. Coming up in just a moment, we'll talk. About another film that has Iowa ties. This one ostensibly takes place in Iowa. It's called Champions and it stars Woody Harrelson. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
0: This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Now we're going to talk about another movie with Iowa Ties. Champions also opens nationwide this week. It tells the story of a down-on-his-luck minor league basketball coach who in one day loses his job and gets arrested for driving while intoxicated. He is sentenced to 90 days of community service coaching a Special Olympics basketball team in Des Moines, Iowa. The coach is played by Woody Harrelson, and here is a clip of him introducing himself to his Team.
2: My name is Marcus Markovich, and I am going to be your basketball coach for the next three months. Nope. Wait, what? I said nope.
1: Is this something he normally does?
3: Nope.
1: That's Darius. He's our best player. I'm Johnny. I'm your homie with an extra chromey. champions also stars actress caitlin olson ernie hudson and a group of neurodiverse actors who portray the members of the friends basketball team screenwriter mark rizzo is on the line with me now hello mark
2: Hi, Charity. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here. And the film takes place in Des Moines, Iowa, even though only very small snippets of the film were actually shot in Iowa. Mark, why Iowa?
2: Well, I wanted to um, place Woody's character um, in a minor league basketball situation, Um, you know, the equivalent of the G League. And the Iowa Wolves um, popped up for me. And it felt like A really good place uh to set the film and also i woody's character has really kind of high expectations for his career he sees himself as an nba coach and i wanted to put him in a place that was um a minor league basketball city like uh des moines but it was a little bit far away from the glitz and glamour (laughs) of the nba just a little a little
1: far away right Sure. Sure. (laughs) And so, Mark, I'm going to ask you a really embarrassing question. Have you been to Iowa?
2: I can say uh, no, I have not. (laughs) And I will say this. I am someone who really deeply believes in research. And I, you know, want I intended to come to Iowa to scout uh, after I chose Des Moines as the setting for the film. But then um, something called the the COVID-19 pandemic hit.
1: Yeah, just and a little thing. I did
2: not travel. Yeah. And so that prevented me from coming to Iowa, but it also prevented me from going on set to work with the actors. And so the work that I did during filming was done remotely here from California. And luckily the, you know, Bobby Farrelly, our incredible director and our producers were wonderful about keeping me involved throughout the process, and I was doing production rewrites from home from the desk that I'm sitting at right now throughout. Um, They were sending me notes and um, just news of what needed to kind of change to suit the actor's strengths. And uh, so I did not get to do as much research as I wanted to in terms of going to Iowa.
1: Well, there's always time. We would, we would love for you to visit someday. And so this film was adapted, your screenplay was adapted um, from the screenplay of a film uh, with a very similar storyline that was made in Spain. Tell me about that inspiration.
2: Well, the film Campiones was handed to me by my agent because she knew that I was a big basketball fan. And I said, if there's anything involving basketball, I would love to work on it. And she sent me a link to watch the film. And I was blown away by how just sharp and funny the film was and how much heart it had. It just seemed like such a wonderful, wonderful story. And I, you know, set about putting together a presentation to bring to the producers to try to get the job adapting it. And one of the things, it it really snuck up on me. I didn't realize it. It was a real sensation in Spain. It won The Goya Award for best picture, their equivalent of the Oscars, was basically Spain's best picture in 2018. It was an absolute sensation there. And they've already made a sequel, a much anticipated sequel to the Spanish version.
1: So what do you think made this film such a sensation in Spain?
2: I think it's the representation. I I think that folks were... It was such a breath of fresh air to see a cast of disabled people playing disabled people. And uh, and the comedy was so, so sharp. The timing was incredible. I had the pleasure of meeting Javier Fesser, who uh, directed and co-wrote the, the Spanish film at the premiere recently. And he's an amazing guy. And he was just so, so excited about getting to work with that cast again.
1: Well, and you mentioned really being committed to doing research in your work. And and this is a part of the film that you were able to do some deep research about because you were writing a script for neurodiverse actors and you wanted to do a really good job representing real people. What kind of research did you do to make sure that you could do right by the actors that were recruited to be part of this film?
2: That was my sole focus when I got this job, was to do right by these characters. And I knew that I needed to get some, you know, experience. My first call was to my union, the Writers Guild of America. They have a disabled writers committee and I spoke to the folks there, and they put me in touch with a woman named Gail Williamson, who is an advocate, and she's also a talent agent who represents disabled actors. And her son, Blair Williamson, is a disabled person who is also an actor and is also on a basketball team. So I hit the jackpot, and Gail brought me up to uh, meet Blair and his friends and his basketball team, and I embedded with them uh, while they practiced and prepared for the Special Olympics. I went to the Special Olympics with them and I toured some group homes and just, oh, and I, they, a lot of the players on the team were also involved in a wonderful theater company here in Los Angeles called the Born to Act Players, which is uh, a theater company uh, comprised of uh, actors with intellectual disabilities. And so I got to go to their classes and participate in some of the, uh, the classwork with them too.
1: Now, in, in the film, um, I mean, obviously you were working very hard to make sure that, that these actors and these characters were fully formed human beings. The main character, this Woody Harrelson character, doesn't know anything about working with disabled individuals, and he makes a lot of mistakes, especially at the beginning of the film. So we get to see his journey as he grows, but were you concerned that that, that part of the film, although it's it's pretty realistic, would be offensive to some people?
2: Well, I think that the the best way to... Do- to talk about this is the use of the R word, Mm -hmm. which does appear in the film. And I was dead set against using that word in the film at all. I actually thought like if someone used it, that we could bleep it because I just felt pretty strongly that it wasn't a word I wanted used. And then the Special Olympics got involved with us and they vetted the script and they, they were very, they felt like if you use that word in a teaching situation, if it's a learning moment for the audience they were comfortable with it and so we did we did use woody's character does fumble and use the r word and one other character uh uses the r word and gets quite a comeuppance in the film and uh yeah i was very concerned M- more than anything i was concerned that these characters would not that <sighs> i wanted them to be fully formed i wanted them to have story, to have agency and emotional arcs. And I kept telling myself as I was writing the film, these are characters. These are not disabled characters. These are characters. And one aspect of their character is that they have an intellectual disability. And that was kind of my North Star throughout was to really fully flesh out as much as possible all of these characters. Now, when you have a basketball team of 10 characters, you can't give everyone an arc or, you know, suddenly we're doing Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) So, you know, we, I I would, you know, we have, you know, three or four of the characters carry um, some story and, and, and some emotional arcs and others are just, just delightful and um, a part of the team.
1: Right. Well so as as we get to know the characters and we see what they are capable of um, I'm going to play another clip from the film as of course Coach is also learning what these characters are capable capable of. So Woody Harrelson's character in this clip is talking with Julio who's played by Cheech Marin and uh, Julio works at the rec center where the basketball team trains.
3: He'd be good. Please tell me he's not going to ride that thing. sure. I mean, he lives all the way across town, so he comes back and forth on that scooter every day. I mean, he's gonna kill himself, all that ice. Well, as far as I know, he's never had a single accident. Uh, Can you say the same? (laughs) Touché. These guys are capable of a lot more than you think. You'd be surprised.
1: All right, that's a, a moment from the film Champions. And one of the characters is uh, riding off on an electric scooter in the middle of winter. As a, as a parent, I was also concerned <laughs> about, his, <laughs> about his physical safety. So you were really balancing. I mean, this is a very funny film, a very warm film. Were you concerned that you also didn't want to be too preachy to in your face about, hey, look at these people with intellectual disabilities. They're real people.
2: Yes, uh, that was definitely a concern. And I think the main message we wanted to put out was that if we meet people where they are, disabled and non-disabled people, like we're all capable of extraordinary things. And, um, and also we wanted to point out the ways in which society is set up to create obstacles to disabled people, and um, not in any kind of inspiration porn way watching them you know, overcome them, but to just to see them moving through their lives. And, you know, one of the themes of champions is what does it take to be a champion in your daily life? And it, you know, one aspect of that is is bravery and perseverance. And we see these characters moving through a world that isn't so friendly to them. And there's a lot of fear and ignorance surrounding disability. And to see them move through it with bravery and grace, I think was um part of our mission as storytellers.
1: The film is rated PG-13, and um, there's quite a bit—this is a Bobby Farrelly film, so I guess we would expect this. There's quite a bit of talking and joking about sex. The actors, of course, in the film, the actors, the characters on this team, they are intellectually disabled adults, but they are adults. And many adults who are intellectually disabled have active sex lives. But I I don't think that's something that a lot of neurotypical folks might think about or even may feel comfortable about. Tell me about approaching that.
2: One of the first things I did with the film was to show to a friend of mine who is a writer and a director whose brother um, is a person with Down syndrome and has a lot of experience, um, you know, talking to his brother about what his life is like and how he likes, you know, what he likes in media and what he dislikes. And the first thing my friend Mike, uh, shout out to Mike Stutz, the great Mike Stutz, said to me was, my brother is so tired of disabled people being portrayed as sexless. And he, like, this is 100% going to be very exciting for for him and his friends, because they feel like that aspect of their lives is kind of erased in representation in media. And so um, I was, you know, there was a lot of that in the original Spanish film. And so I was, ke- I, I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, being respectful. And, uh, but, you know, Mike's endorsement uh, really helped me and his brother's endorsement really helped me keep that um, in because there's a lot of great comedy in it. There's a great character who's like quite a player. Uh, and I do remember, you know, just when I went up to, in bed with the basketball team here in uh, it was in the team is in north hollywood i met you know i met everyone people were in relationships long-term loving relationships uh, that were you know i'm not sexless so i felt like that was really important to represent that and so often people uh disabled people and particularly people with intellectual disabilities are infantilized and i wanted to cut against that and um show, again, show them as fully formed human beings and characters as they are in life.
1: We only have a couple of minutes left, and this film represents a pretty big breakthrough for you. You've been working as a screenwriter for 20 years. Um, Tell me what this film means to you as a screenwriter.
0: I'm
2: still putting it in perspective, Charity, but it's my first produced feature film, after a long grind of a lot of unproduced scripts along the way, both in television and in film. And I'm just tremendously proud of the work. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity that the producers um, and Bobby and Woody gave to me. Uh, so it's, it's a big moment for me. And I'm trying to um, enjoy it for myself, but also uh, just kind of, take in what it means to, uh, to, you know, done a film that represents people, uh, well, that, that was really the the focus. And I'm, I'm really proud that my, my first produced feature is, is this one in particular because of that. I, w-
1: I was reading an interview that Woody Harrelson gave to The Washington Post about the film, and, and he was talking about what a growing and learning experience it was for him because he hadn't had experience working with people with intellectual disabilities before. I suspect it was probably a big growth experience for a lot of people on the film. I Everybody, the the entire neurodiverse cast of, of neurotypical folks and and people who with, have in intellectual disabilities. What a what an incredible experience this must have been to work together. What are your thoughts about that?
2: The best news I got from set was that everyone I spoke to said the same thing, which was that it was the best experience they've ever had making a movie. And I'm hearing this from producers who have been doing this for a long time, longer than I've been writing. And to know that something that I wrote gave people the opportunity to have that experience, whatever kind of success the film has at the box office, that to me made the whole enterprise worthwhile. And to me, it's, it's a real measure of the success of the film. So, and I, and I just know that my experience when I walked into that first basketball practice in North Hollywood, it was a real growth experience for me because I did not know what to expect. And I went in there a little nervous, basically, be, you know, out of fear and ignorance. And I was welcomed with such open arms. And I'll never forget that experience either. So just the fact that we've created some, some experiences for people like that just makes the whole enterprise, like I said, really worthwhile.
1: Well, Mark Rizzo, congratulations. And thank you so much for talking with me.
2: Oh, thank you, Charity. I really appreciate it.
1: Mark Rizzo is the screenwriter for the new film Champions, which opens nationwide this week and takes place in Des Moines, Iowa. This is Talk of Iowa.